Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. So I'm going to preach to you today about a story from the Old Testament. The title of my sermon is, Oh, Taste and See. And I've chosen, just to start off with, probably the most obvious passage of Scripture that we could have for that title. It's Psalms 34.8. And the psalmist says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Now, having established that thing, taste and see that the Lord is good, I invite you to take your Bibles. How many of you brought your Bibles? Very good. I know we a lot of times put it on the screen for you, but I didn't do that today, so we'll find out if you still have your Bible with you. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. This has long been one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. The story of Saul, his son Jonathan, Israel at war, and their ongoing perpetual foes, the Philistines. How many stories do you read in the Old Testament has to do with Israel versus the Philistines? Uh, That's the background for many popular stories. The story of Shammah, who the Philistines were always coming into town and wrecking their gardens. And Shammah stands and defends the patch of lentils. The the battle between the Israelites and the Philistines is the background for that story. The the, the life of Samson. And he was just a a pain in the neck to the Philistines. It's the background for all of those stories of the battles and the the exploits of, of Samson. And Eventually, it was the Philistines that captured him, cut his hair, uh, poked his eyes out, and uh, mocked him. Now, I've given you time to find that passage. I'm going to read in the 24th verse. Now, the Israelites were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So, none of the troops tasted food. The entire army entered the woods, and there was honey on the ground. And when they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out. And no man put his hand to his mouth because they feared the oath. But Jonathan, Saul's son, had not heard that his father had bound the people with an oath, so he reached out the end of his staff. And he dipped it in the honeycomb, and he raised his hand to his mouth, and his eyes were brightened. And then one of the soldiers told him, Your father bound the army under a strict oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food 
today. And that's why the men are faint. Jonathan said, my father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes are brightened when I tasted a little of this honey. How much better it would have been if the men had eaten today of some of the plunder they took from their enemies. Would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? Now, in this passage, once again, it's Israel going after the Philistines. If we backed up in this passage, we find out that Saul's son, Jonathan, has gone rogue as there's the encampment of the Israelites and the encampment of the Philistines, and each are plotting their next move. Who's going to attack? Who's going to go in defense? Jonathan and his armor-bearer, uh, are apart from the camp. And Jonathan's looking over at the Philistine camp, which is evidently elevated higher than their camp. And Jonathan says to his armor-bearer, come and go with me. We're going to go into their camp, and we're going to show ourselves. And when the Philistines see us, they're going to do one of two things. If they say... Come on up to us, we'll go up to them. But if they say, stay there, we're going to come down to you, then we're going to know that the Lord has given this army into our hands. Now, there must have been some sort of divine information for Jonathan to know that that would work. You just can't make these things up and expect God to cooperate with your plan. So Jonathan evidently was inspired understanding that God would honor that fleece that he was putting out. And I, I'm thinking about that. I'm wondering about option A. If they say come up, we'll go up. I don't see any escape route on option A. Jonathan is telling his armor bearer, if they say come on up to us, we're dead meat. But if they say, come on down. Now, you know how his armor bearer was praying, don't you? Lord, let it be plan B. Plan A doesn't look so good. So they did. They went into the, the uh, Philistine camp. They got their attention. Hey, over here. And the Philistines look at them and they say, you wait right there. We're coming down. Jonathan says, it's working. <laughs> it's working real good so far. He says, God has now promised he's going to give this army into our hands. Well, chaos hits the camp. Noise, turmoil. The people become confused. The Philistines, they don't know what's happening. They start running. Saul is back in his camp. He's watching from a distance where his, his uh, outlook men, his scouts are watching. And they start reporting something's going on in the Philistine camp. Something's going crazy over there. They're, they're just fleeing. And Saul says, uh, take a head count. Who's missing? Well, it's his son and the armor bearer. He figures out that Jonathan's got something to do with this. So Saul says it's time to attack. So while the Philistines are running, Saul attacks and further helps disperse the Philistines in this little skirmish. After that, Saul's feeling pretty good. He thinks he's got momentum. The Philistines are on the run. 
Let's just keep this going. And that's where we pick up our story that I started reading. As they are continuing to pursue the Philistines, Saul gets this idea. He said, let's don't eat anything today that I might be avenged on my enemy. And the men are distressed. The Bible says the people were distressed that day. Now, on one hand, we might justify the decision that Saul made by saying, being a soldier is a hard life. You make sacrifices. You eat when, only when you have an opportunity to eat. You sleep only when you have an opportunity to sleep. But whenever the battle's raging, it's not time to stop and dine. It's not time to stop and sleep. The enemy is escaping. We are pursuing. We're not going to eat. So in one sense, you might say, well, I understand that. But on the other hand, it doesn't make any sense because Jonathan, later in the story, said, when you defeated them and took their camp, you should have eaten everything they had. You should have taken the, the, the plunder and uh, strengthened yourself. So Saul comes up with this idea about we're not going to eat, but his army is tired. They're weak. And yes, the enemy's running, and yes, they're pursuing. But here's what really makes Saul's decision ridiculous. They come to a wooded area, and when they enter this place, they discover it's a, a virtual uh, nature's banquet. It is flowing with honey. And they don't have to stop and cook anything. Eat it. This is nature's granola bar. You eat as you go. You're going through, you grab you, uh, as much honey as you can, and you eat it. How blessed we are. We don't have time to break out the kitchen. But here we are on the move, and God sends us some honey. Now, the first thing that I want to, to consider is the awkward moment of following fools. Maybe you've been in a position of somebody else being in charge that had no business being in charge. You knew the decisions they were making were bad decisions. It's very taxing to be under foolish leadership. And while Saul may have had his moments, and we know he did, right now he's looking like the fool. And his men can't do anything about it. And Saul says, cursed be the man that eats anything, anything. He might have said, man, we don't have time to stop and eat from the plunder. Let's get going. The enemy's running. But he says, we're not going to eat anything. It doesn't make any difference how convenient, how God sent. We're just not going to do it. Now, what's with that? We don't see anything but foolishness in that decision. So we're, we, we, we find these men following a fool for a leader. And it's hard to understand why Saul would make such a sweeping declaration Unless maybe he's starting into his period of insanity by now. 
Maybe he's yielding to the corruption of power. Maybe he just had a taste of success, and success is going to his head. Power is corruptive. Sometimes people get drunk on power. Sometimes they get thrills from their authority. Sometimes they use their authority to manipulate people and force them to do unreasonable things simply because I'm in charge and I said so. How many of you have had a boss like that before? This doesn't make any sense. I don't know why he's doing it, but he's doing it because he has the power. She has the power. They just want to declare and make people do things. They, they are drunk on the authority that they have. The second thing is we see in this the story of salvation. It's sad to be under the leadership of somebody who requires us to do foolish things. It's sad to be controlled by somebody who has the power to wreck your life. But in essence, spiritually speaking, that's what being lost is. It's under the power and control of somebody who has the authority, the power, and the influence to wreck your life. Everybody knows from a spiritual standpoint Everybody is under, in servitude, under the authority of somebody else, spiritually speaking, something else. As a Christian, we are under the authority of God. As, without being a Christian, we're they under the authority of the God of this world. There is no middle ground. Now, the God of this world may not be particularly harassing you right now, but still... He will ultimately call the shots. He will ultimately lead you in ways that can be dangerous and precarious to your life. Hell's agenda is destruction of all humanity. What's his threefold plan? Kill, steal, destroy. There's nothing compelling about any one of those. We understand how dangerous it is to be under that kind of of careless, uncaring leadership. Do you call Jesus Christ your Lord today? If you don't, your commander's a fool. And he's got bad plans for you. Now, the lost person is not important to hell, not important to Satan. You're a pawn. You're fully expendable. You're of little worth in hell's army. And just about the time that that man or that woman might happen upon something that would be good for them, that's when the enemy says, this is no good for you. You don't want this. We've made a declaration, you can't have that. It's like the honey in, in the woods. The poor leadership, the, the wicked leadership, the foolish leadership will not let you come close to anything that is beneficial for your life. So the enemy strikes fear. This evil commander, like Saul did, strikes fear into the hearts of everybody. If you dare to partake, cursed be the person who eats anything, eats anything this day. Cursed be the person who comes to Christ. That's the warning sign of hell. In other words... 
if you come to Christ, if you commit yourself to Jesus Christ, if you take up this whole religion thing, you're throwing everything good away. You're going to lose it all. You're going to lose your friends. You're going to confuse your family. You might lose them. You're going to lose you, everything you've got is at risk, the enemy says, if you come to God. Now, those of you who have walked through that door of salvation, you know that. You remember those times when probably you were contemplating, should I make a step for Jesus or not? And you remember the battle that goes on within you. And one of the fears that is most common to people is, what is it going to cost me? What am I going to lose? Can I afford to do this in view of what it might cost me if I make a stand for Jesus Christ? And that's nothing but the enemy warning you. He knows that what you're about to partake of is something you need, but he doesn't want you to do it. So he scares you. Don't do that. It'll cost you more than you really want to pay. So Satan is cursing anybody or threatening a curse to anybody who comes to Jesus Christ, anybody who walks to the altar, anybody who makes a profession of faith, anybody who says, I'm going to throw off the shackles of sin and put on the robe of righteousness, cursed be the person who deserts the army of hell and joins the army of Christ, Cursed be the traitor to hell's cause and driving his army into certain destruction. Isn't it about time people wake up and realize what's happening, how they're being manipulated? Now, the second thing, as we see this as the story of salvation, is the spiritually famished people, which almost speaks for itself. We know that without Christ, people are spiritually famished. They don't always understand it. They don't always know it. But everybody has a spiritual craving. Have you noticed that? And we, we choose to meet those spiritual needs and those spiritual cravings in a variety of ways. The only real and right and logical way to meet our spiritual craving is with what God offers. It's a perfect match. It's the way God created us. You have needs. I uh, have the provision. Let's get together. But people choosing to meet their needs, their spiritual needs, without involving God, they... They take other avenues, sometimes other false religions, just anything to be religious. Uh, take up some meditating religion, some Eastern religion that has nothing to do with eternal life or salvation or God or Jesus Christ, just anything to be religious. And that's the way people get into to, to really some dangerous cults because they just want to have something to call a religion in their life because they're trying to scratch this religious itch that they have. About a third of the world professes to be Christian. It's the largest religion in the world, Christianity. That means two-thirds of the world are spiritually famished. Many have never heard the gospel message. And that's why we're created, that's why we're committed to the gospel commission, going into all the world and preaching the gospel to spread the good news because of a famished world. That's another way in which this story typifies salvation. A third way in which it typifies salvation is the fact that Jonathan partakes of the honey. I suggest to you Jonathan did what was normal, natural, logical. I'm here. I'm hungry. There's food. Let's eat. Does that make sense? Who wouldn't do that? This is logical. It's convenient. We've been brought to the food. It's right here. 
No work. Jonathan just dips the end of his staff in there and brings up a big old glob of honey and pops it in his mouth. And instantly, instantly, the Bible says his eyes are brightened. And you can almost fill in the blank. Jonathan said, come on, guys, dig in. It's free for the taking. And the army is horrified. Do you not know that you are now under the curse of death? Your father has pronounced a curse on anybody who eats today. And Jonathan's reply is, my father just an old fuddy-duddy. Now, nobody can call the king a fuddy-duddy but the king's son. Nobody else can get away with this. Don't you fear the king. No, I don't fear the king. The man's made a bad mistake. He should have let you eat back there when you broke into the Philistine camp. You should have taken their food and eaten. You'd be strong today. I don't trust my father's decisions. I say, let's dig in and eat. But they feared the oath. It is a natural thing. Jonathan did the natural thing with the exception that somebody tried to scare people away from doing it. They all would have done that. If you're thirsty, you're going to drink water. It's a natural thing to do. If you're hungry, you're going to eat. It's a natural thing to do. Except you've got this unnatural law that says don't do that. You might be questioning with all your being why. But under the authority that exists, you can't. It doesn't make any sense. It's right here. Why not? It is defying what is natural. I submit to you that serving Jesus Christ, coming to Jesus Christ, coming to God, entering into relationship with him, finding in him all that you need in your life is the most natural, normal thing to do. We're created with a desire and a need for God. It's normal. It's natural. The reason people are not doing it is because of all of the publicity and the propaganda being published by hell telling you why you shouldn't. Because of all the warnings of be careful, if you do, you'll regret it. That's not normal. That's not natural. So we have hell trying to convince us why we should not be doing the normal, the natural thing. We're built for God. We're designed for him. He provides for us. We come to him. What could be more normal? And the enemy tries to influence away from that. The only reason more people aren't streaming to God right now is because of the propaganda efforts of hell to convince people not to do that. Why, if we have needs and God has an answer, don't more people just, it just makes sense. Why not just give it all to God. Is it because we fear what the enemy is threatening us with? Is, is it because of pride? What keeps us from doing the very most natural thing? What's so difficult about reaching out to God? What's so difficult about leaning on him with all of your weight? What's so complex about exchanging the burdens with Christ when he said, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. Your yoke is heavy. Your burden's heavy. Let's exchange. I'll take yours. You take mine. It's like if, if you're carrying uh, a package and, and your, your 
uh, friend or your father or somebody is carrying another package and you've got the heavy one and they've got the light one and they say to you, let's change. I can carry the heavy one. I'm strong. I can take it. You take the light one. That's what Jesus said in exchanging this. You take my yoke. You take my burden. It's easy. I'll take the heavy part. Who wouldn't do that? That's logical. That's natural. What's so complex that keeps us from reaching out for all that God has for us? Number four, the perfect provision in the time of need. Now, I want you to consider the irony of this situation. Men have been threatened if they eat, but they're marching right through this snack bar. The woods are, are rich with honey, and you, you have to understand the significance of the honey. The story may have been more compelling if there were stakes hanging from the trees, pizzas ready-made. But it's honey. And the significance of this is, to me, goes back to my junior year in high school and my biology teacher, Mrs. Manser. And I don't remember much about biology, but I remember this because she threatened us. Getting a little bit into some of the chemical compounds of things. It wasn't chemistry, but, you know, it, it, biology dabbles a little bit in that. She taught us. She says, now sugar is a compound C12H22O11. I didn't think I'd remember that when I was 60 years old. And she said, in order for you to get any energy from sugar, it's a compound, a complex compound that your body has to break it down. Then you get your energy. And it breaks it down into the lowest form of glucose, C6H12O6. Don't forget it! I decided I wouldn't forget it. So she was teaching on glucose. It's energy right now. Those of you in the medical field, nurses, and things, you understand glucose. Immediate, immediate assimilation into the body. And she said, uh, and you find glucose in honey. And she points at me and says, which is what? I said, C6H12O6. I passed the test. And God leads this tired, weary, battle-torn army into the woods just flowing with C6H12O6. 
There is nothing they needed more. They may have wanted steak. They may have wanted some bread. But God knew what they needed. They needed instant energy right now. They didn't even need the time for the body to process what it took in. They didn't need protein. They needed energy. And there was a pool of energy everywhere you looked. There it is. Even whenever Jonathan partook, and they saw immediately that his eyes were enlightened, God knew what they needed. We would call this an answer to prayer. We would call this a divine provision. It's there for the taking. One only needs to reach out and take it. It's there. But the Bible says no man put his hand to his mouth because they feared the curse of the king. Do you understand Christ is the honey and the rock. He is what you need. He may not be what you think you want, but he is all you need. God has brought you to a place where Jesus is everything you could possibly need, and he's there for the taking. It's just a matter of reaching out and taking a hold of him. He is the honey and the rock. He is there just for receiving. Just reach out and take a hold of Christ. Which is why we read the scripture verse, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And many of you already have. It's changed your life. But the enemy sits on your shoulder and says, You don't need Christ. What you need is a good job. What you need is a career. What you need is somebody to marry you and make you feel good about yourself. What you need is a better circle of friends. What you need, and they've got all these things about what you need. What you need is the honey and the rock. It's very simple. It's very logical. Number five, the irrefutable testimony. And Jonathan says, can you not see how this has had immediate impact? My eyes are lightened. Can you not see? Jonathan, the king's own son, had not heard about the curse. And he helps himself to the honey, and his body, depleted, is suddenly responding to this surge of C6H1206, hitting the system. The eyes are lightening up. And the army argues and says, you, you're going to die. You have violated the curse, the oath of your father. And Jonathan, being unafraid of his father, a bit of a firebrand himself, says, my father's making more trouble for us than it's worth. We should have eaten when we had a chance. And here's food right here, and he doesn't want to let us eat. He is trying to convince the men that this is a godsend. This is the logical thing to do. But he has this testimony. Because when you really get a hold of the true thing, Jesus Christ, it is obviously life transforming. Now you can talk Jesus talk. And you can act like a Christian and have no change in your life whatsoever. 
But when you get a hold of the honey and the rock, there is a change in your life. There was a story of a, an alcoholic, and he had found Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, made a commitment to him, and God performed a miracle in his life and took away that alcoholism right now. Sobered him up, took away the craving, cured him. And that's the kind of thing that just doesn't happen normally. You know what I mean? It confuses people. They don't expect to see a reformed alcoholic in a moment's notice by the power of prayer, by a commitment to Jesus. So his family is worried about him. Something's not right. And they take him to get some psychological evaluation. And when they got done evaluating him, they concluded this man's problem is he's having a delusion. It's a true story. And the man responded and said, thank God for the delusion. It put food on my table. It put clothes on my little children. It made a man out of me. It made a husband out of me. It made a father out of me. If this is a delusion, let God send it to every alcoholic in this world because alcoholism is a terrible reality. When you come to Jesus, when you get a hold of the real thing, it's life-changing. I've seen people get so evangelistic about the strangest things. Their newfound discovery... People get on a new diet program and they want to tell all their friends, this diet works. This is great. You've got to, it's only $200. You've got to buy this. They get on the latest fitness program they just took up. They've got to tell everybody, you've got to do this fitness program. This is phenomenal. They found a new line of homeopathic supplements and remedies that cures cancer. Had a lady in my first church that she carried a certain brand of these supplements, and I'm not going to say the name because sure as I do, half of you probably take them. And everything I had wrong with me, she was trying to shove junk in my hands and was going to cure it. I hated to sniffle in her presence. She had something. You've got to take this. Oh, she was obsessed with it. She was evangelistic because she had found something that she believed in. People find uh, they, they get evangelistic about the latest movie they saw. They come out from a movie, and, and they, the first thing they do is start telling everybody, you've got to go see this movie. Isn't it interesting how we get evangelistic about the things that we believe in? But I don't often see the same people getting too evangelistic about the honey in the rock that they found. I'll tell you my latest recipe, but I'll tell you that before I tell you that Jesus changed my life, that he gave me purpose, that he brought meaning into life that I never had before, that I suddenly realized he has a plan for my life, and I can fit into that plan, and he will bless me. He will give me the tools to be the kind of person I need to be and get so evangelistic about that and say, you want something that will change your life? Jesus Christ can revolutionize you. And the thing about it is, just taste and see. Just 
say, just try it. You'll like it. And if you don't, I'm convinced that it comes with a double your investment back guarantee. You trade in all of your sorrows and all of your confusion and all of your difficulties and all of your strife and you try it. If you don't like it, you can have double that stuff back. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There's a lot of propaganda today against Jesus Christ, against God, against the church, against Christianity. They think we're a bunch of fools. But I'm telling you, taste and see. It has endured the test of time. He's all we need. He is the honey in the rock. He is what will satisfy. Would you bow your heads?